Love you, JR. Love you, Tess. Love this church community. How you doing? You good? All right, well, why don't we go ahead and take a seat. Those of you who are joining us online as well this morning, we're so glad you're here. Why don't we take a moment to pray before we jump into the message this morning. I agree with everything JR said, yes and amen, that we're going to leave better than when we came in because God's word truly is radically transformative in our lives and because the presence of God is in this place. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you, God, that you see us, that you know us, that we're loved by you, that you're for us. Whatever our circumstances that we walked in with, whatever the to-do list is that we have to get to after today, God, wherever we are in the season of life that we're in, you see us, you know us, you love us. And we rest in your love this morning, and we pray that you would speak to us, God, in ways that we didn't even know we needed to be spoken to, that you could take this one message and make it so deeply personal for each and every one of us because you are a personal God. Thank you that your love is perfect for us, and I pray that we would walk away today with a deeper understanding of your love, that we'd walk in a deeper level of freedom that you have for us, God, that we would know in this moment that there's more of you to discover. Wherever we are in our journey of faith, there's more of you, and that we'd grasp and, and grab a hold of what you have for us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is the holiday season. It is upon us. And uh, even on the way here, uh, Ben, my husband, who's here this morning, Ben, why don't you wave to everybody? Come on, give that wave. Yes, that's my husband. I lucked out, ladies. No. Uh, um, and we were driving and um, on the way over here, and uh, we were in the car, and Ben just said, I can't believe that it's only one week till Christmas. Anybody feel the same way? Like, the year is gone. Where did it go, you know? I can't believe it's already the end of the year. And this kind of uh, time, this season at the end of the year is a time for me, and I think for a lot of people, naturally, we kind of reflect. We start to think about the year. We think about the wins. We think about the losses. We think of all that's happened, and we start to plan for the next year. And uh, there's been a lot of wins in my life this year. The biggest one by far is that I celebrated my one-year anniversary. I've been married now a year to Ben. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, wow, I can't believe we've already been married a year. And then I started reminiscing, and I remember our first date. Now, first dates are really interesting because they're kind of like, I hate to de-romanticize the whole thing, but let's be real. They're just interviews, you know? Like, that's really what they are. It's like... Are you a good fit for this organization? Like, do, is, should we do a trial period? Do I see you as a long-term member on this team? Like, this is really the things we're trying to suss out. You know, we don't say that, and we don't ask for a resume, but it's okay, because we already did a Google search, and we already Instagrammed them before we go on the date. So, like, we're, we're just trying to see, do we like each other? And I remember our first date, because it went really well. We definitely both liked each other. It was going so, so well. And then there was this moment in the middle of the first date where Ben brought up a current event, something, there was a news story that had happened at the time. I can't even remember what it is now, but I remember as he started talking about this story that I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but this is New York City, and those of you watching online who are not in New York, um, I'll just let you in on a little secret. In New York, we value being in the know. Like, you have to be informed. You could never admit that you did not read the news that day. Like, this is, you'll automatically be shamed in public settings. And so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this going, I have no idea what story he's talking about in the news, but he's very passionate about this. Like, he has a very strong response to this. And logically, reasonably in that moment, I could have just said, I'm sorry, um, can you tell me what that story is? Like, I, I must have missed it in the news. That would have been completely fine, but I didn't. Instead, I just kept nodding my head 
and, and trying to come up with a way in which I didn't reveal that I didn't know what was going on. And so I went with the approach of asking more questions. Like everybody loves when you ask more questions and you can talk more. So I just kept asking him more questions about this news. Oh, really, why do you think that? Hmm, tell me more, why, hmm, you know? I was like the great listener in that moment just because I was trying to put together the puzzle pieces of what Ben was talking about. And finally, after three or four questions, I kind of gathered like why he thought what he thought. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, that's right. And I remember walking away from the first date going, why did I do that? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm a grown woman. I feel like I'm fairly confident in life. And yet in this particular scenario, I tried to fake it till I made it, you know? And, and we all have those situations where we do this socially, right? We get in certain settings. We might be at a holiday party and somebody starts talking about the band that they're into right now and their latest album. And instead of saying we've never heard of the flying monkeys, we don't even know if the, you know, the, the flying tortoises is a thing, right? Like, you could really make up any band name and nobody would know. Uh, we, we, instead of going, huh, tell me more about them, we're like, yeah, they're great, you know, and we don't know. We have no idea. We're like Googling them later on, right? We do these things. Why do we do this? We're not trying to be liars. We're not trying to be dishonest, but there's something about us that wants to be accepted. We want to be liked, and it's not all bad, this need to be accepted, this need to be liked, because really it helps us find our place socially. Like we understand, and we grow in awareness, and we know the part that we can play in the bigger social scheme of things. That, that's good, but I don't think it stops just there. You know, I, I, I think there's more to it than that. I, I don't think we can nicely contain being liked and accepted just to what makes sense. I think it goes beyond reason sometimes. That's why social media is what it is today in a lot of ways. That's why when we hear social media and we hear highlight reel, we know that they go hand in hand because there's something about society and there's something within us that really wants to be accepted. So we'll only put our best face forward in front of other people so that we can be liked and we can be accepted. Now, when this goes so far, then, then we start feeling the need to, I don't know, dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, have certain pursuits, have certain interests. We're willing to alter our convictions, our beliefs, even part of our personalities. We're willing to change our, our stance on something that we once had a very strong view on. Why? Because we want to fit in. We're willing to have certain networks. We're willing to go to certain places, all because we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We need to be loved. We need to be applauded. We need that promotion. We need that validation. We need that recognition. Now, the problem when this gets out of hand is that we enter into a cycle that is exhausting because we never know whether or not we actually measure up. We're constantly looking around and go, did I get enough likes? Do enough people in the company think I'm doing an okay job? Do my, does my family finally believe in me? We're always trying to figure out if we measured up and there's never this place that we arrive at where it's like, okay, now I'm good. Not only is it exhausting, but it forces us to put on layers and masks and, and to limit our honesty and our vulnerability in, in what could be authentic community. Because instead of just being real when we're going through a difficult time, in the name of being accepted, we now feel like we have to filter ourselves. Like they can't really know what's going on in my life because if they knew, they'd treat me differently. If I opened up about this struggle right now, if they knew my financial situation, if they knew how I was really performing at work, if they knew that this was something that had taken place in my past, if they knew this about me, they would treat me differently. They might not ever say anything, but I can tell. They would just see me and treat me differently. And so we isolate ourselves in the name of being liked and being accepted. We wear masks. We put on filters. We use Photoshop through life. Always on the hunt for acceptance. 
And this phenomenon is not new, by the way. This, this need to be liked and this need to mask and filter is not something that came with the invention of social media. It's been around since the beginning of mankind, or at least pretty early on. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the origin story of this need to mask. And we're going to take a look at it in just a moment. But to give you some backstory, at this point in God's story of for humanity, God has created Adam and Eve. He's created everything that we see. And they live in paradise. They live in the Garden of Eden. Now, this is before sin. This is before evil. This is before sickness. This is before uh, heartbreak. This is before shame. This is before failure. It's just perfect. Perfect love. Perfect peace. Perfect harmony with God himself. And the Bible says that in this environment of paradise that God created for humanity, God walked with them. He walked among them. There was perfect union with God. Things were amazing. And there's one interesting attribute that the Bible mentions about the environment. It says that Adam and Eve, in this environment of perfect harmony with God, they walked naked. They didn't wear any clothes. Now, this is scandalous for sure. And once we can get past the, you know, middle school giggles about the whole thing, like it is a radical picture of how God intended the human experience to be. That you could be completely unmasked and completely loved. Completely honest in yourself and completely accepted. And God shows us in this picture of paradise his desire and his intent for humanity for you and me. He never meant for us to live in hiding. He never meant for us to have a filter existence. He wanted us to live in the wide open spaces of his perfect love. And then sin enters the picture. And it not only changes things for Adam and Eve, it changes things for us as well. In Genesis chapter 3, we pick up on their story. I'm going to read from the message translation so we can really see the story come to life. And it begins this way. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. Ah, that's where it began. All right, all back then. Premarital counseling was needed because of this moment and marital checkups because of this moment right here. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. We like to skim over that part. That's rough. Uh, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now listen to this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now get this. Sin entered the picture. And immediately following, a new experience happened for Adam and Eve that they had never experienced before. Shame. Sin happens, and for the first time, they realize that they're naked, and they don't just realize they're naked, but they hide, and they cover up. Shame. Sin enters, and then shame follows. And that became an issue not just for Adam and Eve, but it became an issue for humanity ever since. Shame is not something that just affects some of us. Shame is a human issue. And shame is is one of those things that's really interesting because shame doesn't just tell us that we did something wrong. Shame tells us there's something wrong about us. Hence the need to cover up and hide. And, and, And shame comes in a lot of different forms. It happens to each and every one of us in different ways and contextualized to our own story and our own experiences. And but it happens. There's some moment in our life, every single one of us feels the need to cover up and hide. There's moments in time for every single one of us where we think there's something wrong with us. For some of us, it's like thoughts like, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too loud, I'm too much, I'm too dumb, I'm too messed up, I'm too complicated. Or it could be, um, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not capable enough, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not experienced enough. Sometimes the thoughts could be, I'll always struggle with this. I'll always let people down. I'll always be let down by people. I'll always have to deal with this pain. I'll always have to deal with this struggle. For some of us, it's, I'll never. I'll never get to that place of success. I'll never be enough for my dad. I'll never make this person proud. I'll I'll never be as good as this person. I'll never be able to overcome this issue. Shame comes in a lot of different forms, but the effect is always the same. We want to hide. We want to cover. We start wearing masks. We filter. 
Yeah, we have our own fig leaves. They're a little bit more advanced these days, but we wear our masks. They come in the form of being the perfectionist or being the responsible one or being the rebel or being the one that can find that person, that special someone to love us. Or for some of us, it might be the one who makes everybody else happy. Or, or, or we're the ones who make everybody laugh. Or we're the ones who fix somebody else's problems. We're the ones who are perfectionists. We're the ones who are going to be the top performer every time. It, it comes in a lot of different ways, but we wear our masks. And we go through life wearing masks at different moments and different times to different degrees, hoping that nobody will see through and know where shame is calling the shots in our lives. It's interesting in this story, Adam and Eve could have been the end of their story, actually, hiding out, covered up in their fig leaves. But God in his goodness did not leave them hiding, covering up. He met them in the midst of their shame. And God in his goodness will not leave us in hiding, but he meets us in the midst of our shame. He meets us out of his great love and compassion for us. He meets us every single time, and he calls us. Where are you? Why are you hiding? And he invites us to his truth and to his mercy. It's interesting because at the end of the story, is, it's painful in one sense. We read Genesis chapter 3, and we see the effect of sin. We see that Adam and Eve had to come face to face with the reality of truth and the consequences of sin in life. God did not weaken his truth because of sin, and they had to face that. But it wasn't just truth that God gave. He gave them mercy as well. Because God took their fig leaves, and he gave them something much better to wear. And in doing so, he foreshadowed what Jesus would one day do for you and me. I mean, listen. Listen to the words that are described when it comes to our salvation and what we have in Jesus. In Galatians 3, 26 through 28, the Passion Translation reads, You have all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus, the Anointed One. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the Anointed One, and now you are covered. You are covered and clothed with his anointing. We no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. This is the great news, that Jesus covers our shame. I mean, this Christmas season, we are celebrating Jesus. I hate to go back to the cliche, but he is the reason for the season. And so regardless of what is going on in our life in the season, regardless of what we don't have and what we do have, the highs and the lows, we come back to the real essence, the true foundation of what Christmas is all about, and it's this. It's that Jesus came. He met us when we were in our hiding, and he met us with his love and his grace. That God, who was perfect, came, and he put on the clothing of man so that we would no longer have to live in hiding, but so that he would live a perfect, sinless life. He would preach the good news that the kingdom of God is not far off, is not cross our fingers and hope it gets better, but the kingdom of God is here. He raised the dead to life. He healed the sick. He cast out demons, and then he gave his life for us on the cross. 
He atoned for our sins. And he didn't just die on that cross, but he rose from the dead so that we never have to fear death, but we can have the assurance of eternal life. And if that wasn't enough, he gave us his very spirit and said, I will always be with you. And because my spirit is with you, you can overcome. This is the good news. And yet sometimes we miss one aspect of the good news. We can celebrate baby Jesus, no problem. We can even get bored on Easter and say, you know what, I'm saved by grace. But we miss that Jesus didn't just atone for our sin on the cross. He also paid the price for our shame. He covered our shame. He bore it on the cross so that he could become our covering. So that now we can approach God, even though we have our failures, even though we have our flaws, even though we are far from perfect, we can approach God knowing that we're going to be on the receiving end of grace and mercy and power and love because we're wearing Jesus and his righteousness. What a gift we have. The heart of the gospel, you got to believe, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to believe that there's just some things you can't do for yourself, only God can do. Yeah. Right? Only God can save us. Yeah. Only God could atone for our sins. Yeah. Only God could make right what is wrong. Only God could prepare a way for us so that we could be heaven bound. We're not saved by our own ability, but because of God's grace, only God. And you know what else? Only God can heal the places of our shame. Only Jesus. It doesn't matter how many likes we acquire in life, how Instagram famous we become, how popular we are by society. None of that will prove that we are good enough. Only Jesus can cover that shame. It doesn't matter what diet we're on. It doesn't matter what size we arrive at. It doesn't matter how we alter our body under the knife. It doesn't matter what we do to look a certain way and have a personal brand that suits the applause of society. We will never arrive at a time where we think that we are wonderfully made. Only the voice of our creator can do that. Only Jesus can cover that shame. It doesn't matter what position we get in our career. It doesn't matter what paycheck we get. It doesn't matter what title we get. It'll never prove that we are talented enough. Only Jesus can cover that shame. It doesn't matter if we finally get that person, that special someone to love us and we get in a great relationship. It's not going to make us happy enough in life. Only Jesus can meet that void. Only Jesus can cover that shame. There are some things in life that only Jesus can do and it's only Jesus that can cover our shame. And in the same way that God met Adam and Eve in the middle of their shame in the garden, and he met them and he asked them a question, I believe that the Spirit of God is in this place this morning asking us, probing our hearts, speaking to these places where we don't think we measure up, where we feel like we need to mask our way through life. He's speaking to those very places of pain, and he's asking the same question. Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Who told you that you weren't worthy enough? Who told you that you'd never make it? Who told you you couldn't overcome? Who told you that you're not capable? Who told you that you don't measure up? What boss, what ex, what coach, what parent, what billboard, what magazine cover, what YouTube channel? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? I look back on my life and I could see the different moments that God met me in my shame. And healing always began with this question. Who told you? 
We all have moments of pain in our life. Sometimes they happen suddenly, and sometimes they drop on us like, I don't know, a building. <laughs> we feel it. I remember uh, growing up, especially during my teenage years, I had a really difficult relationship with my father. And part of my story is that we didn't grow up in a Christian home. We all have been saved by God's grace, and God has redeemed our story in an amazing way. But my dad battled with alcoholism for the first 10 years of my life, and it caused a ton of dysfunction in our family, a lot of brokenness, a lot of heartbreak. By the time I was a teenager, I was so resentful of that experience, and my relationship with my father was so fractured. But I was old enough now to start to speak my mind, and I didn't always do it the most politely. And I remember one of the times I, I, I most certainly was being disrespectful to my father. I'm sure I was being over the top. But we were engaging in a fight. I was 16 years old. And he, he looked at me in the middle of the fight and he said, you know what? You're too strong-willed. And I feel sorry for the man you marry. That's what he said. And I just went, whatever. Yeah. But I remember that night going into my room, laying on my bed, awake, replaying that again and again and again. I let that become the label over my life. For the next 15 years, I walked around thinking that there was something about me that made it difficult to love me. That, that there was some apology I needed to make to receive love. I carried that with me. Now, if you would have asked me during that time, hey, uh, well, how's your self-worth? I'm like, great. I know who I am in Jesus. This is great. I mean, here I am. I'm following Jesus. I'm growing in my faith. I'm in ministry. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm leading people. I'm doing the things that God has called me to do. And I had no idea how much shame was calling the shots in my life. In the subtle ways, how it was sabotaging relationships and leadership opportunities. It was sabotaging my relationship with God and how I approached him. Every area of my life was limited by this shame. And it wasn't until I went through a really difficult season of my life. Difficult seasons have a way of shaking things up in your heart, don't they? And it brings things to the surface. And it allows God to speak to some of those places that have been long buried. That God began to speak to this place. And he began to show me, you're actually apologizing for who you are. Began to show me. He began to say, who told you that, you, that you're going to be hard to love? Who told you that you don't measure up in this area? Who told you? And I began to renew my mind to God's truth found in his word about who I am. And I had to make a choice in my life once I heard God speak to that place of brokenness. Either I was going to choose to believe what Jesus said about who I am, or I was going to let careless words spoken in the heat of an argument years ago be the limiter of my life, be the definer of who I am. And I had to make a choice that these careless words are no longer going to carry the same word. In fact, in fact, they're not going to carry any weight anymore. What is going to carry weight is who I am. I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that marvelous are his works and I'm talking about me. I know that I am loved beyond measure. I know that I am the apple of his eye. I know that I can do all things and I can overcome all things because of Christ who gives me strength. I know that I'm the head and I'm not the tail. These no longer became the go-to things that you just say out loud when you want to feel good. It became a revelation of who I was rooted in the word of God. And so I'm going to ask you this morning again, friends, who told you? Who told you? And perhaps it's time to let the Spirit of God redefine who you are and set you free from having to live in certain places in your life in hiding and covering up 
you can live confidently and freely who you were created to be, living in the wide open spaces of God's infinite, perfect love. Now, I wish I could say that I only had to face the power of shame once in my life. <laughs> that was my experience, guys. You find yours, we're done. That's not how life works, right? We don't just face fear once in our life, just like we don't face anxiety once or doubt once. We are continually in life going to face some of these things, but here's the good news. We can overcome. And so I want to give you some practical ways, not just to become aware of where shame might be calling the shots in your life, but how you can walk in the freedom that God has for you in those places. You know, for me, one of the things that I had to do and continue to come back to when I'm faced with shame is a simple thing, but a profound one, is I have to live in the reality of God's love. Let me explain. Live in the reality of God's love. I remember when I, when I was telling you earlier that I went through a difficult time in my life, that difficult season, it brought up a lot of things. And so I ended up actually seeing a counselor, a Christian counselor, which I highly recommend doing at different seasons of your life when you need to. Get a good one. When you get a good one, be open to the journey that God has of healing for you. So I, I was in this setting, and I remember I was explaining everything that was going on, and there was a lot of change and a lot of pain happening and some loss. And, and she listened to me, and she said, okay, Nicole, I, I feel like there's still some places in your life where you theologically know here that God loves you. But I don't know if you know it here and how you live your everyday life. So I want you to do a simple exercise. Every morning, I want you to wake up. And before you do anything, before you get coffee, before you do anything, before you open your Bible and start to go through your daily devotional, whatever it is that you're doing, before you do anything, I want you just to sit. And I want you to... She, like, physically said, just put your palms up in the air. It's almost like a symbol so you can imagine. And just say, thank you, God, that I am perfectly loved by you as your child. And she's like, and just take a couple minutes before you move on from that just to think about how much God loves you. Just think about how much God loves you. Meditate on God's love for a couple minutes before you go about your day. Now, I got to be honest. When she told me this, I was like, I'm paying you a lot of money for you to tell me this. Like, this is a cool, cool, you know. Okay, great, right? But I have to tell you, it was the most revolutionary thing in that season for me. I started doing it. I started showing up going, okay, here we go. Thank you, God. You know? <laughs> Even within a week, man, it changed the way I went about my day. It changed the way I reacted to situations because I was learning how to be before I did. I was learning how to just be a child of God, fully loved, and from that place, go about my day. Some of us never learn that. We go our whole lives, and we see ourselves in the lens of what we do and how we perform and not simply who we are in light of God's love. We live in the reality of God's love. The second thing is this. We, we have to accept sin, call it for what is acknowledge sin. I should say acknowledge sin and accept forgiveness. And here's what I mean. Every time there's shame in our life, there was a precursor to shame and it was sin. In one of two ways. Either we sinned or there was sin done to us. And we have to acknowledge that sin played a part in where shame was birthed in our lives because if we don't, we will always struggle to understand the character of God. Because some of us will live with the wounds of other people's wrongdoing, other people's sin, 
and we'll go, why did God put me in this situation? What, 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 if that was God's will for my life, why am I have to deal with this? Instead of acknowledging that actually was not God's perfect will for my life. Alcoholism in my family was not God's perfect will. That was the byproduct of sin, but God redeems all things. And if I could acknowledge that, then I could trust in a God whose character is good to heal the shame in my life. And in the places where I have been wrong and I have done wrong, I can't ignore it. I can't run from it. I can't dismiss it. I have to call it what it is. The Bible says, confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. Not just some of the time, but all the time. But we have to start from that place of saying, sin was a part of this picture. And so, God, I want to receive your forgiveness so that I can also receive your healing. And the opposite is also true. Like when I talked about the story with my dad, you know, there was sin in the picture, and there was some dynamics in my home that were beyond my control. But if I can acknowledge that, then now I can walk in forgiveness and I can practice forgiveness. And here's the one thing I know, if we are still holding on to bitterness in our lives, we cannot actually walk free from shame because we'll always keep coming back to that place of hurt and anger and it will continue to be the narrative of our lives. God wants to free us from shame, but it begins with acknowledging the places where sin has been at play, to ask for repentance where we need to, and then to choose a path of forgiveness. And here's the final thing, final thought is that we actually have to choose in our life every day here a narrative of God's goodness. Somebody once told me, you can't control the first thought all the time that comes into your mind, but you can't control every thought afterwards. <laughs> Not true. It's like when I'm driving, I can't control what billboard is in front of me, but I can control how much I pay attention to it. There's going to be times where this current word that gets used a lot, right? Triggered, where we get triggered, right? We'll be in an environment. Maybe we're in a work meeting and we say something and somebody doesn't respond the way that we want to. They don't say the thing that we want them to say. They don't agree with us. They don't side with us. And the first thought we have is, see, I don't measure up, right? That narrative of shame begins to creep up again. And we can control in that moment. We can't control that first thought, but we can control every thought afterwards. I know we can because Romans 12 tells us that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means we have control over where we choose to go in our thinking. And so in that moment, sitting in that meeting, when we hear that thing and that little voice creeps up, if we don't control it, here's where it'll go. Oh, well, I'm not good enough, which means, well, okay, well, let, let me look around and let me measure up compared to all these people in this room. Well, I'm better than this person. Well, I'm better than this person. This person's my competition. Okay. Later on in the meeting, we might even say something to undermine somebody else so that we can come up on top because we feel like we need to compensate because deep down inside, shame is now playing the narrative that we aren't good enough. But when we control it, when we go, you know what, actually, the narrative over my life is God's goodness. He met me in that shame. He's covered me with Christ's righteousness. So even though the lie of the enemy, we want to say, I'm not enough, that's not who I am anymore. I know that I'm enough. I know God's put me here. He's given me a voice. He's given me talents. And I'm a part of a bigger picture here. So I'm going to serve and I'm going to love and I'm going to lead by example. And God's will is going to be done in this meeting right now. The narrative has now changed to the goodness of God. We have the power to let God's goodness be the narrative of our thinking. I know we have the power to do that because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. He empowers us and enables us to overcome in those small moments that lead to big moments in our lives. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and I'm going to invite the band to come up or whoever's going to play. Oh, already there? I love that. I want to pray for you this morning. 
just a simple prayer that would allow the Holy Spirit to perhaps bring healing to the places of shame that might be at play to help identify who said in your life. And I'm gonna pray that you leave here ready to put into practice by the power of the Holy Spirit the work that you're called to do to overcome. I saw a movie earlier this year on a plane. And I probably shouldn't have watched it on a plane because it was one that I ended up crying a lot through, which is kind of embarrassing among strangers. Um, but it's a beautiful movie called Wonder. And in that movie, for some of you who've seen it, some of you are not familiar with this, but it's about a boy who's born with facial differences, so much so that he, over, he, he undergoes dozens of surgeries and still, he's just never gonna look like everybody else. And he has a loving family who cares for him deeply and they're very protective of him. And he's homeschooled for a good part of his life until he hits fifth grade and his parents make the decision that it's time for him to face the world. He's gotta find his place. And so they're gonna send him to public school. Now, you gotta understand that this boy would walk into rooms and people would gasp. They'd look away, they'd whisper, little kids would cry. And now he's gonna go to public school. And he has a really hard time that first year, really hard. He has to deal with bullying. He has to figure out who he is. He has to find his true friends. He has to discover bravery. And there's a lot of days he goes home and he is just so hurt and so angry that he has to be there. And he has this one thing that he relies on. It's this astronaut helmet. It's his most prized possession. And he, when he has bad days, he'll run home and he'll just put it on right away. And he loves that helmet because that helmet, when he wears it out in public, people don't stare at him. They don't gasp. They don't see that. They just see the, a kid who enjoys outer space. So one day he comes home after a really bad day and he's looking for this helmet and he can't find it. And it comes, he, he gets in a panic and everybody in the house is looking. They can't find it. It's just gone missing. Well, as the year progresses, he gets to graduation day and he's overcome a lot. He becomes a true hero in the story. You see this little boy become so brave and find his friends and be kind and generous. And the graduation moment, it's his moment. He's made it to the finish line. And that morning, his dad is helping him with his tie and his dad says to him, hey, Augie, um, I gotta tell you something. I don't want you to be mad at me. And he said, what, dad? He said, hey, that helmet that you were looking for, it's at my office and automatically, Augie gets so mad, what? That's my favorite helmet. And he said, listen, I know you don't always like your face, but you're my son and I love your face and you are wearing it so much. I just miss seeing my son's face. It's this beautiful moment. And so as we pray here today, I want us to hear heaven's heart. I want us to hear the heart of God who might be speaking to us in the places we're hiding and the places we might feel shame. That perhaps our heavenly father would be leading in us today and saying, hey, I know there's places you don't like. I know there's things about you that you don't like right now, but I love you and I wanna see your face. You can let down the guard and let me bring healing and hope so that you can walk freely and confidently. Jesus, I thank you that you are our freedom. I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for our shame, that you cover our shame, that you are our righteousness. 
And so in the moments and the places of our life right now where we might be in hiding, God, I pray that we'd no longer filter away our freedom, but that we'd walk in the wide open spaces of your love. I pray, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, that you'd meet us in those places and bring healing and hope. That whatever was spoken, whatever did happen, whatever narrative of shame might be playing in our lives, that we're set free today from that. Instead, we know who we are in you, that we choose a narrative of your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy and your power. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, God, that you meet us in this place in your goodness. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.